to read a psalm to you. And uh, just so you know, everybody that, well, I'm looking for the psalm to read, which will be psalm number uh, 15. Yeah, he read 14, and last week we did 13. So, um, uh, uh, Jay over here has a signature Donald Trump tie from before he was the candidate. I mean, it's so... If anybody uh, needs a little spending money, they could hold him up outside of the building and probably get some money for that nowadays. But um, we have uh, Psalm 15, a Psalm of David. Lord, who may abide in your tabernacle? Who may dwell in your holy hill? He who walks uprightly and works righteousness and speaks the truth in his heart. He who does not backbite with his tongue, nor does evil to his neighbor. Nor does he take up a reproach against his friend, in whose eyes a vile person is despised. He honors the Lord, he honors those who fear the Lord. He who swears to his own hurt and does not change. He who does not put out his money at usury, nor does he take a bribe against the innocent. He who does these things shall never be moved. All right, we're in uh, Exodus 30, and we're going to do uh, verses 17 through 21 today. This is entitled The Bronze Laver, and uh, as always, just marvelous pictures of Christ and how it relates to us in uh, relation to him. So uh, let's see, you're starting in verse 17. Then the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, You shall also make a laver of bronze with its base, also of bronze, for washing. You shall put it between the tabernacle of meeting and the altar, and you shall put water in it. For Aaron and his sons shall wash their hands and their feet in water from it. When they go into the tabernacle of meeting or when they come near the altar to minister to burn an offering made by fire to the Lord, they shall wash with water lest they die. So they shall wash their hands and their feet lest they die. And it shall be a statute forever to them, to him and his descendants throughout their generations. Jesus said in John 13 that he who is bathed needs only to wash his feet but is completely clean. It's a verse that we're going to revisit today, but it's a simple truth. If we take a nice long shower and then go work on an art project in the den for an hour or so, we don't say, gee, I have to go take another shower. Instead, we just go wash our hands and that's that. In old Israel, the people wore sandals and the paths were dusty. When someone took a bath, afterwards they might go out for an evening walk. When they got home, they wouldn't take another bath. Instead, they would wash off their feet and as they came into the house, and it would wash off all of the dust, and that would be that. On the surface, this is what he is referring to. One is clean after taking a bath. However, they might do something that would later make them partially unclean, even though they were still completely clean in the overall sense. The Bible uses this same terminology as a picture of our spiritual state as well. Just like almost every other actual thing that the Bible speaks of, there is an underlying spiritual connotation. The Bible speaks of building a house on a rock, but there is an underlying spiritual meaning which is being conveyed. The Bible speaks of anointing something with oil. That pictures something else as well. If we can understand what something physical pictures on a spiritual level, then we can understand the root of what God is showing us. Today, we will see the instruction for another piece of tabernacle furniture. It will, just like everything else, show us a spiritual picture of Christ, his work, and how it relates to us. Our text verse today comes from Psalm 26. I will wash my hands in innocence, so I will go about your altar, O Lord, that I may proclaim with the voice of thanksgiving and tell of all your wonderful works. Lord, I have loved the habitation of your house and the place where your glory dwells. As far as taking a bath, 
I hope that the spiritual picture which that makes applies to every person here. If not, you have to get that corrected. If so, then the lesson of the bronze laver is another step for you to pursue. You've taken your baths. Next, you need to keep your hands and your feet clean. Let's see what this is picturing. It's all to be found in his superior word. And so let's turn to that precious word once again, and may God speak to us through his word today, and may his glorious name ever be praised. I have only two thoughts for you today. The first is the bronze laver. It's verses 17 through 21, or all of our verses. Verse 17, then the Lord spoke to Moses saying, this is the second of three times in this chapter that these exact same words are stated. Each time the words are set off as their own verse. And so it is as if we're being asked to pause and to consider them. Something new is being introduced, which is calling out for Moses and thus for us to ponder. As this has been a dialogue between the Lord and Moses, and as Moses is recording what was said, the words seem all the more remarkable. Instead of saying, then I was next instructed, or then the Lord spoke to me, it is very formal and precise. Moses' words are recorded then not for himself alone, but for all who would read them in the future. It is as if they're saying, get ready. Something new and highly important is coming to your hearing. Stop and consider what lies ahead. Now that we have so prepared ourselves, we can move forward into the what and the why of the coming verses. Verse 18, you shall also make a laver of bronze. The kior is introduced into the Bible here. It is a basin or a laver. The word comes from an unused root, meaning properly to dig through. And so it could be a variety of things that are shaped out of something else, as if they're excavated, like a pot or a washbowl or a pulpit or a platform or even a furnace. In this case, it is a washbowl which Moses is instructed to make. It is to be made of nechoshet, or bronze. And as we've seen very clearly, bronze mainly symbolizes judgment, but it also does symbolize endurance. Concerning judgment, it can be negative, such as in the case of bronze fetters being worn by those who have been sentenced for a crime, or it can be in a pictorial judgment, such as that found in the curses of Deuteronomy 28, verse 23, where the punishment for disobeying the Lord by the people of Israel is described as your heavens, which are over your head shall be bronze. That picture is one of rainless skies, heat, and anguish. However, the judgment can also be one of purification and justification. This is seen time and time again as well. As this labor will be used for washing, we can already make the mental connection that the bronze will signify positive judgment in purification and sanctification. Verse 18 continues, with its base also of bronze. The base in Hebrew is the word ken. This is not the first time that it's been used, but it is the first time it's used in this sense. It means a pedestal or a station, but also a base, a state, foot, office, place, or even a well. It is the same as the adjective and adverb ken, which is especially a common word in Hebrew. You hear it even today a million times, which means thus, or rightly so, and so on. As a positive response to a question, one would say ken. So if you go to Israel, you'll hear everybody say a million times when you're at McDonald's, you ken, ken, you know, and they're saying yes to each other. Scholars are divided on exactly what this ken is. Some believe it is a base upon which the laver sat. Others find it to be a shallow trough of some sort which would receive water from the laver when a spout was opened. 
This is not unlikely because throughout the Middle East, this was a common means of washing hands and feet, a practice which is even continuing to this day over in the Middle East. No matter what, the use of the laver is known, verse 18 continues, for washing. No matter what the base actually is, what is unlikely is that the laver was simply a large bowl where the priests would go in and dip their hands, as so many depictions show. The water would be defiled by the hands if this is what happened. The two probable solutions to this would either be a separate bowl being dipped into the water to take some out, of which the text says nothing, but it's still possible, or a type of spout which would allow the water to come out of the laver. This seems more likely to me, even though this is also not specified in the Bible. No matter what, the laver's use is known. It is for washing. Later in Exodus chapter 40, the full purpose for the laver is given with these words. He set the laver between the tabernacle of meeting and the altar and put water there for washing. And Moses, Aaron, and his sons would wash their hands and their feet with water from it. Whenever they went into the tabernacle of meeting and when they came near the altar, they washed as the Lord had commanded Moses. The laver was for purification in connection with any duties associated with the tent of meeting and the altar, meaning the brazen altar. And notice that it included Moses in this. Despite being the mediator and the one who was to perform the consecration and ordination of Aaron and his sons, Moses still was required to wash from the laver any time that he did something in connection with the tent of meeting or the altar. Though he was used by the Lord to establish the priesthood, he was still not free from the requirements of that priesthood. He was not above the precepts of the law, which he was used to initiate. Verse 18 contains all of the instructions given for the making of this bronze laver. What is more than remarkable is that nothing is said of its size, height, width, shape, or ornamentation. It is completely devoid of any further description. Nothing about how it was transported is mentioned either. This is completely different than any other article which has been made. Though the size of the menorah was not given, the amount of gold which would determine its size was. Concerning this labor, what is lacking in written instruction was certainly not lacking in minute detail for Moses to adhere to. As Moses had been expressly told several times and is even repeated in Hebrews chapter 8, we read this precept. According to all that I show you, that is, the pattern of the tabernacle and the pattern of all of its furnishings, just so shall you make it. So Moses was aware of any and all of the details concerning the making of this labor, and yet none of it is recorded. The omission of this detail then carries as much weight as that which has been included. Further, in contrast to this laver, the bronze sea and the ten lavers, which served the exact same specific purpose in the temple in Jerusalem, were exactingly described. They were intricately worked with elaborate designs. This is detailed in 1 Kings chapter 7 and in 2 Chronicles chapter 4. The only other thing about this laver which has not been noted yet, but which will be seen in Exodus 38 verse 8, are these words. He made the laver of bronze and its base of bronze from the bronze mirrors of the serving women who assembled at the door of the tabernacle of meeting. Mirrors were not made of glass at this time in history. Instead, metals which were highly polished and exactingly shaped served as mirrors. The specificity concerning the bronze for this labor, where it came from, cannot be without specific significance. 
The Greek translation of this verse from Exodus 38 also adds something in there. In the Septuagint of Exodus 38, it says, Of the women that fasted, who fasted by the doors of the tent of the testimony. Two verses concerning such women lead us to a better understanding of who they were and why Exodus 38 verse 8 is so specific concerning where the bronze came from. In 2 Samuel chapter 2 verse 22, it says this, Now Eli was very old, and he heard everything his sons did to all Israel and how they lay with the women who assembled at the door of the tabernacle of meeting. So you see these women are involved at that time. And then again in Luke chapter 2, it says this, Now there was one, Anna, a prophetess, the daughter of Phanuel of the tribe of Asher. She was of great age and had lived with a husband seven years from her virginity. And this woman was a widow of about 84 years who did not depart from the temple, but served God with fastings and prayers night and day. What appears to be the case is that some of the women at the time of the building of the tabernacle gave up their mirrors, which had been used for the earthly adorning of themselves and instead devoted themselves to the service of the Lord in the courts of the temple as heavenly offerings. In other words, what was once a means of obtaining earthly praise was given over for the purpose of receiving heavenly commendation. It seems that the offerings of these first women became a model for other women to follow during the times while the law was still in effect. Verse 18 continues, You shall put it between the tabernacle of meeting and the altar. This is the logical place for the labor because it was to be used for washing when either they went into the tent of meeting or when they ministered at the brazen altar. Before doing either, they were to first come to this labor and to wash. In the next section of this chapter, which concerns the holy anointing oil, it will say this in Exodus 30, verses 25 through 30. It shall be a holy anointing oil. With it you shall anoint the tabernacle of meeting and the ark of the testimony, the table and all its utensils, the lampstand and its utensils, and the altar of incense, the altar of burnt offering with all its utensils and the laver and its base. You shall consecrate them and that they may be most holy. Whatever touches them must be holy. And you shall anoint Aaron and his sons and consecrate them that they may minister to me as priests. As the labor and its base are considered most holy, and as the priests had to wash at it prior to participating in the duties associated with the most holy things, then this should teach us a lesson concerning holiness. There is a fount of cleansing which is needed, even for those who are consecrated and set apart for the service of the Lord. As far as the exact placement of this labor, Jewish tradition says that it was placed between the entrance to the tent of meeting and the brazen altar, but not exactly between them. They say it was placed a little bit to the south. This, however, is not found in Scripture. Verse 18 continues, and you shall put water in it. The details for the use of the labor are simply described here. It doesn't say how much water. It doesn't say how often to change the water or to fill it up or anything else like that. That is all that is given. It is completely different than, for example, the menorah and the altar of incense, both of which, as you are aware, were given almost minute detail as to their attendance. Verse 19, for Aaron and his sons shall wash their hands and their feet in water from it. Aaron and his sons means the priestly line who would attend to the tabernacle and later the temple in Jerusalem. This then is an explanatory statement concerning the priestly line throughout all of the time of the law. It is set in contrast to the verse from Exodus 40 that I mentioned a little while ago. That verse included Moses, who would be the one exception to this rule throughout the entire period of the law. 
after Moses and his use of the labor, it would be solely for Aaron and his sons, meaning the priestly line which descended from Aaron. It is these people alone who are to wash their hands and their feet. As these members picked up dirt and defilement, they needed to be washed in order to symbolize purification before the Lord, as the labor was considered most holy, then the water inside of it would be as well. Verse 20, when they go into the tabernacle of meeting or when they come near the altar to minister, to burn an offering made by fire to the Lord, they shall wash with water. The priests were required to make the daily sacrifices upon the altar in the morning and at twilight. They were also to tend to the menorah and the altar of incense at these times. The table of showbread had its regular schedule, and the Ark of the Covenant was to be approached each year by the high priest on the Day of Atonement. For each of these times and all others which are designated by the law, the priests were required to first wash their hands and their feet at this labor. Though it is almost neglected in written detail, its use was as frequent as any implement in the entire sanctuary even more so. Verse 20 continues, lest they die. These words are actually a part of the first clause in the Hebrew. The New King James Version has placed them at the end, indicating that the death would be the result for not washing in any of the circumstances of this verse. However, the words lest they die are actually after when they go into the tent of meeting. The conjunction or, along with the words of the next verse, give us clarity. This may seem like excessive punishment for such an infraction, but when considering the nature of their duties, the one to whom the observance was due, and the frequency of this being required, it makes very good sense. As the pulpit commentary states it, contempt of the simple and easy regulation to wash at the laver would imply contempt of purity itself. And so an entire hypocrisy of life and character than which nothing could be a greater offense to God. Verse 21, so they shall wash their hands and their feet lest they die. A second emphatic statement is made, repeating the substance of what had just been said. This brings to memory the time when Moses came to the burning bush and was told to take off his shoes. The most holy things were most holy. The ground within the tabernacle was deemed most holy because of the presence of the Lord. In touching these holy articles with defiled hands, or in walking in the holy places with defiled feet, it would be reckoned as sin against the Lord and thus deserving of death. Their consecration did not bring them into an indelible state of holiness. Rather, they acquired defilement through their regular lives. To ensure that they maintained purity before the Lord, they were thus required to wash. This is reflected in the words of Leviticus 11, verse 44, which says this, For I am the Lord who brings you up out of the land of Egypt to be your God. You shall therefore be holy, for I am holy. Verse 21 finishes with these words, And it shall be a statute forever to them, to him and his descendants throughout their generations. The washing of the hands and the feet during the ministering of their duties was to be olam, or forever to the generations. This word olam indicates that which is concealed. It is an indeterminate amount of time which simply extends on without knowing when it will end. Hence, the term forever is used. In this case, Forever is to be taken in the sense of the duration of the covenant, which comprises the words that we're looking at. As long as the covenant was in effect, they had to do this. And as the covenant is annulled in Christ, it is no longer a requirement. But for as long as the generations of the law were to remain, the statute was in force for Aaron and his sons, meaning the priestly line who ministered before the Lord. 
There is a laver which is available to me, and from within it comes water to cleanse and purify. I am to attend to it always, even daily, and in coming to it the water has power to sanctify. In washing with it I am able my duties to complete, and from it the water has power to cleanse my soul. Through this washing there is again fellowship so sweet, and my life remains steady before God, always under control. No matter how many times I come, the water continues to pour. From the labor, there is no end to the cleansing flow, and I know I will come to it every day for sure, and in my walk, I will be purified. I know. Our second thought today is the symbolism of the labor. The labor is the seventh implement to be described in relation to the tabernacle furniture. The first was the Ark of the Covenant, then the mercy seat, then the table of showbread, then the menorah, then the brazen altar, and then the altar of incense. This is now the seventh and final such implement. However, it is actually the second one to be approached when entering the courts, immediately after the brazen altar. There's a great deal of difference between the two as well. The altar was made of wood and brass, but the laver is of brass only. The dimensions of the altar were given in great detail, but no dimensions are given for the laver. The transport of the altar is given in that it was to be covered and carried on poles which were placed into rings. However, nothing is mentioned about how the laver was to be moved, and nothing is said about a covering for it. The altar was used for burning with fire, the laver for holding water. Even though only the priests could work at the altar, many of the sacrifices for it came from the general population. However, the contents of the laver were solely for the use of the priests. Thus, there is a great difference in these two implements. As I just said, and as verse 19 notes, the implement is solely for the use of the priests, for Aaron and his sons. But there is a truth to be found in this. If they did not use the labor to wash, they would still be Israelites, but they would not be allowed to perform the duties of a priest. This then shows us a spiritual truth. When we as Christians interact with the world, we don't stop becoming Christians. We are once and forever justified before the Lord because of what he did. However, as we become defiled by the things of this world, we lose our effectiveness to do the priestly things that we should be doing. Our fellowship with God is fractured, and our ability to minister properly to others becomes useless. Therefore, the bronze labor points to Christ, just as all the other implements have. It is through the cleansing which comes from him that we are made suitable to perform our proper priestly roles as Christians. Concerning its composition, we have seen time and time again that bronze signifies judgment. In the case of this labor, it is after the judgment on sin for justification which was seen at the altar. Therefore, the labor is looking to judgment on defilement, and thus it signifies purification. It is a picture of the continued purification of the believer of Christ. Despite having been justified through the altar sacrifice, we still see Christ's inflexible righteousness, which tests us, it judges us, and which ends close fellowship with God when we continuously violate his precepts. This is a lesson that every born-again believer should heed, but which is far way too often ignored. We may not lose our salvation, but we can lose the joy of it as we continuously stray away from what Christ expects. In understanding this, we can then see what the water which is contained in this laver signifies. Surely, it can't be overly difficult to see what it is. As far as the makeup of the bronze, we were told that it came from the mirrors of the serving women who assembled at the door of the tent of meeting. The Bible took the time to specifically note that, 
Unlike almost any of the other voluntary offerings, this one was most specific. It shouts out to us to consider what a mirror is used for. The laver pictures Christ, as we have seen. He is the word of God, and from him issues the word of God. Both are discerners of the hidden things. Christ is the active discerning of what is hidden in man, whereas the Bible is what passively allows man to see what is hidden in himself. The composition of the labor being mirrors then points to what it says about the word of God in Hebrews chapter 4. It says there, let us therefore be diligent to enter that rest, lest anyone fall according to the sample, the same example of disobedience. For the word of God is living and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the division of soul and spirit and of joints and marrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. And there is no creature hidden from his sight, but all things are naked and open to the eyes of him who must give an account. The bronze laver made from these precious mirrors points to Christ's ability to discern and judge the very thoughts and intents of the hidden heart of man. And so, if Christ is the laver, then what issues from him is symbolized by the water. As he is the word of God and the word proceeds from him, then it is a picture of the word itself, the Bible. So much is tied up in this because the Holy Spirit worked to ensure that we receive the written word through the prophets and apostles. Jesus came and dwelt among us, and he spoke the word. But suffice it to say that the word is what is pictured in this water. As we have only one source for knowing Jesus Christ during this dispensation of time, then it must be that source, meaning the Bible, the written word of God, which is our water for cleansing. Numerous verses in both testaments of the Bible show us this. A direct one from Psalm 119 says this, How can a young man cleanse his way? By taking heed according to your word. Another from the New Testament is again explicit. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for her, that he might sanctify and cleanse her with the washing of water by the word. These and a host of other verses show us that this water symbolizes life which flows from the word of God and especially for us during this dispensation. It is the written word, meaning the Bible. Understanding that, there is more to see in the idea of washing. In the ordination of Aaron and his sons, which is recorded in Exodus 29, they were completely washed. That was a one-time washing only for ordination. However, they are now instructed to wash their hands and their feet each time they minister to the holy things. This then shows a contrast between the two types of washing. Further, the first was done for them by Moses, one time and never repeated. The other was done by themselves frequently. This contrast is seen in what happens to believers in Jesus Christ. The first conducted for them typified regeneration, moving from Adam to Christ once and for all. The second typifies ongoing sanctification and constant spiritual cleansing. And this is actually seen in Jesus' washing of the disciples in John chapter 13. Jesus said to him, He who is bathed needs only to wash his feet, but is completely clean. And you are clean, but not all of you, for he knew who would betray him, and therefore he said, You are not all clean. He uses two different words there for us to understand what is meant. The first is bathed, or luo. It signifies the washing of the entire person, a full washing. This signifies cleansing from sin. The second word he used was wash, which is nipto. 
This indicates a simple washing of one's own hands. It is an ongoing process of keeping something clean. What is seen is a contrast of what the Lord does for us in regeneration and what we receive from the Lord in our sanctification. The regeneration is actively conducted by him. It is once, it is for all, and its effects are permanent, meaning forever. In our sanctification, we passively receive from him as we actively cleanse ourselves with him. We open the spigot and we receive the sanctification and the cleansing through the washing of the water by the word. This then is why the labor comes after the brazen altar. The altar speaks of justification before God because of the application of the work of Christ. The labor speaks of sanctification before God because of the application of his word. We don't need to have the blood reapplied to our lives, but we need to continuously apply the water, even to go back and minister as a priest at the altar. The holiness of God demands that in order to be in proper fellowship with him, we must treat him in the holy manner that he deserves. Arthur Pink states this very beautifully with these words. What is needed by the exercised believer as he is conscious of the blemishes of his service, meaning the hands, and the failure of his walk, meaning his feet, is to avail himself of that which the labor and its water prefigured, the provision which God has made for us in his word. What is needed by us is a practical application of that word to all the details of our daily lives. In other words, read your Bible. Come on, folks. Can't talk. Read your Bible. How sad it is to think that the water is right there for us if we desire it. The word is written, its precepts are available, and the yielding of our lives to it will bring back us into a right standing with our Heavenly Father. And yet so few avail themselves of this fount of spiritual blessing. It is there for us to draw from, just as the priests had to go to the laver and draw water from it. We, too, have to draw from the word, using it to judge ourselves, to guide our lives, and to grow in a close and personal relationship with the Lord. I once said, I think it was a Bible study a few weeks ago, that I know people that read book after book after book after book after book about the Bible, and they very rarely read the Bible. And that's why I love this church and the people in this church, is because I know that most of them, maybe not all, but most of them are reading their Bible every single day of their life, sometimes two or three times a day. And they attend Bible studies. And I'm so thankful for that because it's our only way of being sanctified in this particular manner. Paul sums up the thought so well with these words. He says, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly with all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. In doing these things, we will keep ourselves from temptations. We will be kept from falling into evil practices. We will stay on the right path and be able to resist the devil. The snares that he sets for us are going to be evident long before we come close to them. This is the power of the word of God to affect our lives. The water of the labor is our written word. In pursuing it, we can fulfill Paul's admonition from 2 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 1. Therefore, having these promises, beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from all filthiness of the flesh and spirit, perfecting holiness in the fear of God. And this perfecting comes in two ways, symbolized by the two parts of the body which were washed by the priests. The hand washing was intended to signify purity in action, whereas the foot washing was to signify holiness and how they walked and conducted their lives. Together, they signify the right now and the ongoing. 
Our cleansing is to be for the task at hand as well as for the steps that we take which lie ahead. In this pursuit of the word, though, there's more than just keeping ourselves from harm and growing in holiness. There is an aspect which anyone who reads the Bible daily will surely comprehend, relief and reinvigoration. When Aaron and his sons washed their feet, especially before the evening work, they would be tired from the labors, labors, labors of the day. When the cool water came down on them, it would have been a blessing to their soul. This is what the Bible gives us each time that we pick it up, looking for a moment away from the weariness of the labors of the world. Reading David's Psalms can lift even the most wiped out soul from the pit of the most melancholy spell. Such is the power of the word of God when we open the tap and let it flow upon us. Having seen so far what the labor is according to the word, we need to see what is missing concerning it according to that same word. As I noted, nothing is said of its size, height, width, shape, or ornamentation. It is completely devoid of any further description. In this, we see a picture of unlimited provision. The labor could have held a gallon or it could have held thousand gallons. The omission thus tells us that we do not need to know. It holds water and water will issue from it. That is all we need to know. And so it is with Christ. He is unlimited in scope, being very God of very God. And what issues from him is therefore unlimited in scope. His word is fully sufficient to cleanse us and to keep on cleansing. He is sufficient to sanctify and to keep on sanctifying. He is sufficient to purify and to keep on purifying. From him, the water never ceases, every need is met, and every desire is fulfilled in him. But not only was the size of the labor not given, the transport of it was not detailed either. The transport of all of the other implements is detailed, even minutely, but nothing is said of this. No mention of it being covered is given. No word tells us of how it was moved. This omission was purposeful in order to show us Christ once again. He is ever available for our spiritual cleansing. No matter where we move and no matter to what deplorable place we may go to, there is always available to us the pure cleansing of the word. It will never depart from us. As long as we come to the tap, that water will flow. In this life, we will never search out all the mysteries of his word. And in eternity, the water will never run dry. This is the promise of Revelation 22, last page of the Bible, folks. And he showed me a pure river of the water of life, clear as crystal, proceeding from the throne of God and the Lamb. And there's one more omission concerning the labor, at least as far as Israel is concerned. It is mentioned 10 times in the books of Moses. It is seen nine times in Exodus and once in Leviticus. All of these are in connection with the construction and consecration of the tabernacle. And after that, it's never mentioned again. Instead, only the labors for the temple are once again described. This is probably not by accident, but it is intended to show us just how far Israel departed from the word of the Lord throughout its history. They were redeemed by God. Those who had participated in the Day of Atonement received his covering, but the people never lived close enough to the Lord to be considered as cleansed from their daily walk. It is the continued theme of the Old Testament. And this is certainly why they were twice exiled, and it beautifully explains the words of comfort for Israel, which lie ahead someday when they turn to Christ. This is seen in Zechariah chapter 13. In that day, a fountain shall be opened for the house of David and for the inhabitants of Jerusalem for sin and for uncleanness. The fountain was opened for them, but they rejected him. 
Therefore, they were exiled, and God turned his focus to the Gentiles who have gladly received what is offered in these ancient types and shadows. Think of that person I told you about during the Prophecy Update. They got the Bible in their hand because a man brought it to them in their own language, and they read it. The Gentiles all over the world have had this experience, and they have received it. They have taken it in because it is the Word of God. However, Israel is being prepared for the day when the cleansing water will pour out for them as well. Nationally, they will sit as chief among the nations. Spiritually, they will be purified by the water which flows from the throne there in Jerusalem. This is described in detail in Exodus 47, verses 1 through 12. The water will flow from the throne and be so abundant that it will bring even the Dead Sea back to life. Only the swamps and marshes won't be healed. The note that the ritual for Aaron and his sons was forever to them throughout their generations is an anticipatory look into the true and eternal cleansing of Christ. The law failed, not because it wasn't holy, but because man isn't holy. Only through Christ can that be corrected, and in him it is corrected completely. What we need to do now in our present walk is to pursue Christ. We should fill ourselves with his word, apply its precepts to our lives, and live in a state of always purifying ourselves to honor his holiness. We can hold on to the words of the Lord from John 15, verse 3, which say this, You are already clean because of the word which I have spoken to you. But we need to also hold on to the truth that our one-time cleansing from a bath does not mean that we don't need ongoing cleansings through self-washings. One has eternal value and it can never be removed, whereas the other has right now value, which can affect so much of our earthly life as well as our heavenly rewards. As I've said, the tap is there. We just need to open it up and to wash. If Christ is the discerner of our inner selves, then let us use what we have from him for our own self-evaluations. Let us look into the perfect law of the Lord in order to discern our faults, and let us strive to mirror the Lord until the day when he looks at us and sees as much of himself reflecting back in his own precious purifying eyes as is possible. And for those who have never taken the first step, not of being sanctified by the word, but of being justified before the Lord, it's time to make the decision to do so. No matter how much you wash your hands, the defilement will remain unless the sin of your soul is first washed away. This is the problem with religion, always putting the horse in front of the cart. I'm going to clean myself up and God will be counting me in for sure. That's not how it works. Only Christ can clean us up and make us right before God. After that, we use what Christ offers to keep ourselves clean. Let's get that in the right order and you'll be in the sweet spot for all eternity. Call on Jesus, receive his forgiveness, and then live for him all the days of your life. Do it today. Let me tell you how you can if you've never called on Jesus to be your savior. The Bible gives us a couple simple verses to remember. It says that all have sinned and all fall short of the glory of God. And in our hearts we know that's true. We've all done something to offend a holy God. And because of that, there's a fracture between us because he's infinite and perfectly pure and we're fallen and finite. And we're in the stream of time going that way and you can't go back and undo what you've done. All of have sinned and all fall short of the glory of God. And the wages of sin is death. We're heading down that path and we're going to die. But there's a problem because we were born dead already spiritually. We're going to go to a physical death, but we're already born spiritually dead. We're separated from our father because of the sin of Adam, our first father. And because of every sin after that, we've only heaped on our condemnation. And if we don't get 
the spiritual death corrected before our physical death comes. We're going to be spiritually dead for all eternity, ever cast from the presence of an infinitely holy God. And so I would ask you to consider that and to allow God to change you. But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. The wages of sin is death. God offers us life. He offers us not just life, but eternal life, abundant and full. And every blessing that you could possibly imagine will be brought to the light of day when we stand before the Lord. I can't wait, and I hope that you will make that decision. It says, if you call on the name of the Lord, you will be saved. It doesn't say if, it doesn't say maybe, it doesn't say that you can lose that salvation. This sanctification here is for our ongoing walk, but it can never be taken away, the first bathing. That is yours forever. But I would pray that you would continue to wash yourselves, your hands and your feet, and become more like Christ day after day. But get the box in order. First call on Jesus and then work on purifying yourself. You'll never purify yourself if the sin of your soul remains. Our closing verse comes from Titus. It's chapter 3, verses 4 through 7. But when the kindness and the love of God our Savior toward man appeared, not by works of righteousness which we have done, but according to his mercy, he saved us through the washing of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us abundantly through Jesus Christ our Savior, that having been justified by his grace, we should become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. Next week, Exodus 30, verses 22 through 33. The wonderful smells must have been so intense. It's the holy anointing oil and the holy incense. That'll be our 86 Exodus sermon. And as I say each week, the Lord has you exactly where he wants you. He has a good plan and a purpose for you. Even if a deep ocean lies ahead of you, he can part the waters and he can lead you through it on dry ground. And so follow him and trust him and he'll do marvelous things for you and through you. All right, short poem today, only a few verses. It's called the Bronze Laver. Then the Lord spoke to Moses saying, these are the words he was relaying. You shall also make a laver of bronze, with its base also of bronze for washing, as I submit. You shall put it between the tabernacle of meeting and the altar, and you shall put water in it. For Aaron and his sons shall wash, as is meet, in water from it, their hands and their feet. When they go into the tabernacle of meeting, or when they come near the altar to minister by and by, to burn an offering made by fire to the Lord, they shall wash with water, lest they die. So they shall wash their hands and their feet lest they die, and it shall be a statute to them forever, to him and his descendants throughout their generations. As long as this law continues, they shall cease never. Lord, in this simple labor we see marvelous pictures of you and of the word which you have spoken as well. Help us to do the things we should do and to purify ourselves as the pictures of this labor do tell. Let our actions be right and acceptable each day. May our steps be free from error, walking a path which is holy. And help us to wash ourselves with your word, we pray, until the time when we stand there before the glassy sea. For marvelous are you, O God, and worthy are you of our seeking right living through your word. And may we forever upon the holy path trod until the day when comes for us, Jesus Christ our Lord. We long for that day, and may it be soon, we pray. Until then, we will continue to praise you day by day. Hallelujah and amen. amen. Heavenly Father, thank you for these marvelous pictures of your word. Thank you that everything that we need for right living, for growing in holiness and being sanctified so that we'll be more like you each day is available right in this word. If we'll just simply pick it up, read it, 
and let it fill our souls and to follow its precepts in the intended context, everything will be right. Surely this is so. Your word says it is. It instructs us. It guides us. It tells us about Jesus. What more could we want? Help us to get our eyes off of the earthly and to focus on the heavenly. Help us to come daily to wash our hands and to wash our feet in this beautiful labor, this wonderful word which you have given us. Thank you above all for Jesus Christ who first justified us before our need to be sanctified. And we stand guiltless before you because of him. Thank you for that. How could we ever repay you? So why should we even bother? Instead, we'll just praise you for all eternity, giving you praise, giving you the glory you're due for the majesty of what you have done for us through him. Thank you, O God. We love you. We praise you. We exalt you. And we do so in his majestic and beautiful name. Amen. We get the instruction for the Lord's Supper directly from the Bible. All we do is add in the prayer that the Lord would have said over these elements when he performed the Last Supper. And uh, it's written in 1 Corinthians chapter 11 from the hands of Paul. He wrote these words, For I received from the Lord that which I also delivered to you, that on the same night in which he was betrayed, he took bread. And he would have blessed this bread. He would have said, Baruch atah Adonai Eloheinu melech haolam hamotzi lechem min haaretz. Blessed art thou, O Lord our God, King of the universe, who brings forth bread from the earth. And he broke it and he said, Take and eat. This is my body which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And in the same manner, he took the cup after supper, and he would have blessed us as well. He would have said, Baruch atah Adonai Eloheinu melech haolam borei peri hagafen. Blessed art thou, O Lord our God, King of the universe, creator of the fruit of the vine. This cup is the new covenant in my blood. This do as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Therefore, whoever eats this bread or drinks this cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of the body and the blood of the Lord. But let a man examine himself, and so let him eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For he who eats and drinks in an unworthy manner eats and drinks judgment to himself, not discerning the Lord's body. The body and the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. The body and the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's this one right here. The body and the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. The body and the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. body and the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. The body and the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. Good to have you back. The body and the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. 
the body and the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. The body and the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. The body and the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. The body and the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. The body and the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. The body and the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. The body and the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. The body and the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. The body and the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. Glory be to the Father and to the Son and to the Holy Ghost as it was in the beginning, is now, and ever shall be, world without end. Amen. Amen. Heavenly Father, we do thank you so much for the many blessings you've given us. Thank you for this church, this home that we have. Thank you for the brothers and sisters that come and meet here. Thank you that we can rely on each other and that we know we can rely on you. You are the faithful God. How wonderful you are. Lord, please, please be with those that aren't here today, that are traveling or that are are out sick or that can't be here because of family matters we pray for each one of them we ask that you bless them bless those on uh that are attending from a distance right now and uh, help them to have a great week ahead as well and uh, anybody that watches the video in the future may they be blessed and may somebody come to a saving knowledge of christ because of it this is where our heart lies is for the people of the world help us to have that in our heart always and to let the people the redeemed of the lord say so May it be so, and we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Amen.